Small businesses are the backbone of America, and they help keep the Texas spirit alive. But did you know as many as 50% will close their doors forever after just five years? Well, we're here to change that. This is the beef. This is the beef. We know how tough it is to be an entrepreneur today. That's why we're giving small business owners a platform to share their stories. You'll hear it all. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, and everything in between. This is the Beef Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing in partnership with Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Beef. I'm your host, John Kelly, a.k.a. John the Marketer on Instagram. In the studio joining me today, I have Michael, David, and Anthony with Tilted Concepts. Fellas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I literally sound like a broken record on this podcast because every episode I'm like, I'm so excited to have this, <laughs> you know, this episode and have y'all here. But honestly, it's because it's been product services and companies that I love. So I really am excited to have y'all here because as we discussed earlier, I am a VIP member of one of your, I guess we can just call it opportunities that you've got with Tilted Concepts Tune Up in Tomball, Texas and nationwide, you know, franchise, you said over 60 locations. So big. Yeah. We have 62 locations across the three brands. That's awesome. You know, you've got lots of opportunity there, lots of people employed in a time where we definitely need it. We like to start our podcast off with an icebreaker question. And I figured since one of your concepts is tune up the Manly Salon, where you offer alcohol along with your haircut, excellent concept. What's your favorite drink? If you got a drink of choice. It depends. <laughs> Just one drink. If I was on a desert island, I had to pick one question. drink forever. Yep. One drink forever. Kind of in a Schinerbach mood right now. Mm. It's easy to drink, gets the job done, support in Texas. That's a good set. I like it. Gin and tonic. <laughs> All right. Anthony's favorite. Yeah. That's yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, uh, right now I'm on a diet, so I'm down 25, 26 pounds, something like that in a couple of months. Been just working as hard as I can to lose weight. And, oh, uh, so I'm doing right now. My favorite one, we just had an event last night, and I was drinking Jim Beam Orange with Coke Zero. Okay. So it mm. gives you like a little orange Coke, if you will, mm-hmm. which is one of their flavors. And I I love it. I think it's great. I am a beer guy, though. Tried a new beer last night called Aldstat. Okay. They're here in Texas. and Never uh, heard of that. Yeah. Met one of the guys that's over the Houston area. Excellent beer. So we'll have to get some of that for sure. I made the mistake a few months ago of trying sweet tea vodka and oh. water. Okay. So it's just, it's a vodka flavor like sweet tea. Hmm. Mix it with just a splash of water and a lemon. You don't know it hits you until about the fourth or fifth one. And, <laughs> but it hits you. So refreshing. Yeah. What are these? <laughs> this doesn't even taste like, am I drinking water? Right. Was it the ranch water? Aaron's always talking about. I've never had ranch water before. Is that one of the seltzers and stuff? That craze? Is it? Or is it some kind of mix of vodka and like a bunch of fruits? I was going to say, I think ranch water is like and, an actual mixture of stuff. Yeah. But I've never had it hmm. personally, so. All right, so before we get started with all of this, I've got to take a second to talk about our partner, a tremendous sponsor for this podcast, Community Bank of Texas. They know that especially now, the experience and availability of a banking partner is crucial. They're here to help and support your business, and their bankers have been working diligently to give clients the support that we need during these challenging economic times. As a business owner, a lot of things keep me up at night. My bank shouldn't be one of them. When you bank with Community Bank of Texas, you have the freedom to focus on your business commitments instead of worrying about how committed your banker is to you. 
Community Bank of Texas is proudly committed to partnering with you and your business through it all. The short-term hurdles, long-term growth, countless new directions. When it comes to doing business, they simply deliver a better banking experience. They're a foundation you can build your business on for decades to come. Community Bank of Texas is business banking, better banking, member of the FDIC, and an equal housing lender. So, fellas, we like to start off the show just by having you introduce yourself, you know, who you are, how you got into the role that you're in, and where you came from. You know, how did you choose entrepreneurship, or how did you choose to get into this position? I'll start it off, but before I do that, let me give a shout out to your sponsor, because I didn't know you guys were sponsored by Community Bank of Texas. And, we are. You know, and community banks are unique in the sense that it's, sure, they have the branches, they have their loans, they have the service, they have the book of business, but it's really about the people. And there's one banker at Community Bank of Texas that I followed through a couple different banks over the last 15, 16 years. His name is Jerry Tarnapal. He's in charge of the SBA division at Community Bank Community Texas. Been with him for a couple of years, few years. And he kind of goes to show that it's about the people. I can text him on a Saturday morning. He'll reply back. I can't text the big banks on Saturdays. Right. I call him about some business stuff, some personal stuff. We joke about each other's kids, develop yep. a true relationship. So he's one of the one of the great people. I'm glad he's with that bank and I'm glad the bank's one of your guys' sponsors. Yeah, I, I don't mind taking a, a moment because it's not even a shameless plug. It's their podcast, man. We couldn't do it without them. Yeah. They're truly, when I say a tremendous partner, the last thing I want is for anytime I talk about Community Bank of Texas, for it to sound like, okay, well, I'm getting paid to say this now, so here we go. <laughs> yeah. um, these guys really, and gals, they heard what we were doing and they were like, man, this that's pretty interesting. Let's have a conversation. I'm like, okay. And this was just, we were at a chamber event and met one of the business bankers. And he's like, we have to talk. And we're like, okay. And then he listened to a few episodes and he said, this is what we have to be a part of because Community Bank of Texas supports this. Like we want to support small businesses and we can do that by you bringing these people on and being able to give them a platform. And we're like, all right, awesome. So do you want to move along? Or, and they're like, yeah, we're taking this all the way up to the top. Let's do it. And then we even had, you know, the beef, right? Beefy marketing. That's our brand. Everybody, when I talk about my podcast, the beef, and they're like, cool, what are we smoking brisket? Or like, what are we talking about here? (laughs) I'm like, look, that is a good podcast episode. And we'll probably do that because we just bought a big old barbecue trailer. But no, this is a business podcast. And so we joked and we said, one of the, the girls over there, I think she was a marketing girl. I'm not positive exactly what she did. So I hope she doesn't hunt me down if she's listening to this. But she said, look, I'm a vegan. And I'm supporting this podcast called The Beef. We have to be a part of this. And then finally, we got that word from Community Bank. And they were like, hey, we're going to send you everything. We're going to sign some agreements and let's do it. So, yeah, not a shameless plug. I'm very happy to talk about them for a second. They've been an awesome part of this. So that's good to hear you have a connection with them. Yeah. So my name is Anthony Milton. I'm the CEO and one of the founders and one of the owners of Tilted Concepts. We operate three brands. Started the first brand in 2015, Tune Up the Manly Salon. Started in Magnolia, Texas is the first location. I then grew to Tomball and Creekside and Webster and, and all over the Houston area relatively quickly. Currently, we have 56 locations of tune-up across four states. Heavy, heavy presence in Texas. We operate in Tennessee, Florida, and our first location in Southern California. Opened up almost two weeks ago. Tune-up is created to take care of the everyday guy. Guy that likes watching sports, take care of his kids, drives a truck, drinks beer, likes the Astros likes the Texans or whatever city you're in. That's my favorite team also. And just wants to come in and kind of get away from the reality. You know, haircutting used to be, and for too many guys, it's still a chore. You wake up on Saturday morning, the wife or the girlfriend makes fun of you because you look scraggly at the neckline. The beard trim's not done very right. You have to kind of put it on your chore list. I have to go to Home Depot. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to go get my haircut. 
and we try to take the have to into want to. So tune-up's a great environment. It's a fun environment. Come into one of the salons, get taken care of, get a great haircut, beer trim, full bar. Everything's complimentary. So it's a great unwind from the outside world. Come in and have a drink. Let's take care of you. Kind of old world customer service that you expect from a traditional barbershop with a new approach to it. Concept's going great. We have growth right now happening all over the place. As far north as Wisconsin, as far east as Tennessee, Atlanta, Florida, as far west as California, and everything in between. And we're not letting anything stop us. In 2017, we realized they were taking care of the guys, but the women were mad at us because we had nothing for them. <laughs> yep. So we developed martinis and manicures. The women's retreat is kind of the yin to the yang. So the husband or the boyfriend can go to tune-up. The wife or the girlfriend can go to martinis and manicures. Same general thought process, manicures, pedicures with a full bar, cater more towards female style drinks. So you see a lot more margaritas and daiquiris and Cosmos and specialty drinks and kind of the fruity stuff. Women love it. Locations open, locations operating. It's a very, very bubbly, fun environment, which is different than the typical corner shop nail spa, where it's kind of a serene, quiet, you can take a nap while you're getting a pedicure. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to take a nap at our spot. <laughs> you can try. It's not going to work out very good for you. Great concept. Trying to grow it as well. And the third brand we started, we launched in January 2020 called Balanced Foods. So we have six locations right now for Balanced Foods, five in the Texas market, all in Houston, and one in the Tampa, Florida market. It's a packaged takeout meal company. We cook seven days a week, cater directly to the customer via retail stores or online ordering. Fresh, prepared breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, the whole nine yards, ready to go, ready, healthy, health conscious, high in protein, good in carbs, low in sugar, low in fats, none of the BS. And it tastes great. So we're looking forward to growing all three of those brands, kind of this collective umbrella. No, that's awesome. How exactly did you get started as an entrepreneur? You know, where did you come from and kind of what's your story heading into that? A little bit of dumb luck. (laughs) Kind of, I think everybody (laughs) kind of, everybody wants to be the business owner, but the catalyst for it is oftentimes it's a little bit of dumb luck. I spent, before I was my first business owner, I spent almost a, a little over a decade in the restaurant business, full casual dining. So the big box brands like Texas Roadhouse and the Brinker brands and such. And kind of just by happenstance, met up with a former business partner of mine in a former concept. We just realized the time was right. He was a trainer at 24 Fitness and I was a manager at Macaroni Grill. So we kind of had that exercise nutrition thought process around working out and eating right, but really no culinary skills or thought process behind the execution of it, where I was reverse. I knew the kitchen, knew the process, the procedures, the recipes, so on and so forth, but I had no real nutrition or coaching guidance. So it was a good kind of balance for a while. Started first brand and I came addicted to it. I'd be a bad employee. If I have to go back to work for somebody, I will, of course, but I'd probably be a pretty bad employee right now. I love the everything that comes with entrepreneurship, the challenges, the thought process, the detail, understanding that it's a bigger thing than just me. It always will be. It's a good thing to wake up to. It is. I know one of the big things we talked about before we even kicked the podcast off was being an entrepreneur, being that CEO is so different than what so many people think. You know, they think that you just come in, your brand just grows and you don't have to have that expertise or you don't have to surround yourself with those people and help them out and have, you know, I think we said knuckles in the dirt where you're just literally doing the work out there every single day. It's good to hear those stories that just kind of start from the ground up. And, you know, like you said, a few buddies get together and start talking and you've got this knowledge. I got this knowledge. Let's put it together and make it happen. How involved are you on a daily basis with this? You're addicted to it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
I assume like most CEOs, you probably wake up at 5 a.m., go to bed at midnight and work every day. If I'm that lucky. <laughs> to, go to your, back, to your last point, yeah, there's no fuel the dreams mentality for us. Right. You know, that thought process of uh, you're a business owner, so you're jet setting around the world. If you build it, they will come. Like if you build it, that's great. And then you got to work your ass off and mm-hmm. make sure they come. And they make sure they come back and take care of the people that take care of you. We talked about this before at a summit we had a week ago. Is we have 62 stores across four states. 635 or so total employees across all the locations. And today I'm fortunate enough to where I don't have to cut any hair, paint any nails or package any food. Because those people are so good at what they do mm-hmm. that it allows me to do what I want to do, which is build the brand. Now I love doing those things. I'm, I'm a bad hair cutter. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. I'll give it a shot. But if I have to go in and, and cook food or wash dishes or package meals or sweep up the floor or pour drinks, absolutely. I love doing that. So it's important for someone that's a business owner, regardless of the scale or the type of a brand that you're trying to build, to be able to, to want to do both, to want to be able to get down on the weeds and do the things that started the business off and at the same time have the vision for the things that can grow the business. What sets TuneUp apart? I mean, do you, I don't even know if you have a competitor in that market, really. What sets you apart from every other barber or salon or, you know, why choose one of yours, whether it's martinis and manicures or TuneUp, the manly salon, what really just sets you apart? I'll answer it in three parts. First, and my focus isn't really to throw the competitors under the bus because we have a lot of them. They're great competitors. Absolutely. From the local barbershop, guy just making his own with a couple of barbers to the national chain, to the behemoths of the world with the national concepts, to the upscale spots, to the discount pricing competitors. First thing that sets us apart is the stylists, the staff in the location. You'll see that no matter what the day is, no matter what the time is, if it's sunny or rainy or if it's busy or if it's slow or if it's a Tuesday or if it's a Saturday, they're always bubbly, always excited. They want to be there. And it's a tough thing right now in retail, especially in an environment where you're taking care of customers in a close-to-close interaction, face-to-face interaction. You go to these places and you see that there's just no passion for the work. It's a J-O-B. This could be at the grocery store. This could be at the mall or kind of wherever you go. Our people have passion. We look for that. That's what we recruit for. So the first thing that differentiates us from the competitors is our people actually passionate. They don't just put the fake smile on, a little bit of makeup, put your hair up, come to work, do your job, go home and then complain about your work the rest of the day, they're actually passionate about what they do. And you kind of see that with the ambiance, the things you can't really put on a profit and loss statement or you can't really market to, but there's a certain ambiance or an aura that you feel when you go into a location. That's going to be the first thing that definitely separates us. Second is the customers. We're great. We deal with guys that drink beer and like getting a haircut. <laughs> you know, We can't ask for more than that. It's easy to take care of customers that like being taken care of. It's easier to take care of customers that are fun, that are jovial, that are spirited, that you want to have a beer with. It's easy to take care of customers that are like-minded. I made a business decision about a decade ago to go into the wrong type of business. I invested in a Chinese buffet. And then the Chinese buffet wasn't doing so good. So because of my stubbornness, I doubled down and reinvested into it. And then I realized that not everything's for me. Because the Chinese buffet model isn't what I'm passionate about. It's not what I want to do. I don't enjoy eating the food. I don't enjoy sitting at the tables. I don't enjoy the environment. It's a decent environment. People make a lot of money on it. People get full off of it. It's just not for me. So when we developed these brands, we wanted to make sure that it was kind of a collective deal to where the customers are like us. Because if the customers are like us, then we know how to market, who to market to. We can have correlative stories, talk about sports and kids and beer and so on and so forth. And the third is the ambiance, the atmosphere of the location. There's a lot of great concepts out there, but ours is, I think, the best because the TV's on the wall, full stock liquor, a full bar, shuffleboard tables for kids, video arcade games, old school, new school, individual stations in the tune-up that are so separated. 
to where there's no chance I can get your hair on me while I'm getting my hair cut. We separate it out enough. We pay a little extra for the lease rate because we have bigger spaces than some of the competitors, but we wanted that separation. We wanted a, a hair wash after every single haircut because guys like me, I don't like getting a haircut in the middle of the mm. day and then going back to work and just having that scratchiness, right? That kind of frustrating piece. Yep. So those three things really separate us on the tune-up side. On the balanced food side, it's fun. Retail from a grocery perspective, from a retail perspective right now, there's a lot of bad brands out there, not because they're bad brands or because they have a bad product, because they have bad service. One of the things that frustrates me is whenever I go to somewhere, it could be the grocery store or a convenience store or a big box shop, and I have to shop myself and I have to check myself out and I have to bag myself and I have to leave myself. All the while, someone that's getting paid as part of the cost of the good is watching me do so. It's just frustrating me. It kind of mm-hmm. rubs me the wrong way. I miss the old school mentality. When I was growing up, go to the grocery store and the bagger at the grocery store would walk the bag up to the car with my mom because yep. they actually cared, right? They actually put it in the trunk. They had that mentality that it wasn't just a J-O-B. They just, it's something they wanted to do. So it's frustrating for me in retail when I go to our competitors and I kind of see that. If I wanted a job at a grocery store or to retail, I'd ask for an application. So at Balanced Foods, is great because the food's high quality. The staff's fantastic. They're actually passionate about it. I mean, we have everything from fitness competitors to the complete opposite in the spectrum that love working for the brand. That in the kitchen, they love it more than a typical restaurant because of the flow of it. In the retail, love it because actually we ask them to communicate to the customers, build a relationship with them, get out from behind the counter, talk to them. One of the biggest battles we had at Balanced Foods when we developed the brand was, are we going to have some sort of a shopping cart or handbasket because he wanted such a connection that a customer would never have to feel that they have to put any of their meals into a basket because mm. we're that close and connected to them. And you wouldn't see that at a grocery store. You wouldn't see that at another retailer. So those are kind of some of the things that separates us from some of the competitors is just our passion around taking care of the customer. I'm not just saying it or using it as a tagline, but actually proving it every single day. It's such a good topic because when you can get employees to care enough about the brand that they're going to be there, I mean, we all know instantly when I say my pleasure, we know who says that in this industry, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the fast food industry. And it's such an awesome thing because when you go in there, like you said, you never feel like you're having a bad day in there. I mean, I think one of the funniest Facebook memes I ever saw was if I go to Chick-fil-A and I order something and they give me the wrong order, it was just meant to be. I'm not even mad at them. Like God's they know work. what's better for God's me. Work. Yeah. They know what I need more than I know what just I give need. Give me that you lower know? chicken. Come on, let's yeah. go. And one of the benefits about this from kind of from a business owner standpoint is what happens when you build that relationship is you create raving fans. For sure. I can count on one hand the amount of brands that I actively talk about that I enjoy going to. So when you have a customer base that you have the desire to take care of them and they have the desire to be taken care of, what happens is you become an entire base of advertisers for you, of marketers for you. 100%. People going out talking about their experience at tune-up or talking about how good the food at Balanced Foods is. And that's invaluable. You can't pay for that type of marketing. Right. I mean, that's why I'm a, a VIP member of tune-up and that's why we have our spa days in the office here because when we walk in and I mean, shout out to Casey, Caitlin, Amber, all the girls over there at the Tomball location. It's just a great experience every single time we walk through the door and they know us by name. And then just the really cool, when you become a VIP, I don't know how many listeners know this, but you have a bottle and it's up on the wall and it's got your name or sometimes, you know, what people call you, not necessarily your name. (laughs) And uh, there's some interesting names up there. I love it. And, uh, you know, so when you go in, you feel like a VIP, you know, but even if you're not a VIP, you still feel like a VIP. I mean, they take your phone number from you. They sit you down at the bar. They make you a drink, make you feel comfortable. It's the only place I've ever gone where I'm happy to wait because I'm like, yeah, I'll Mm -hmm. just sit at the bar and have a drink. Then that's fine. You know, play some shuffleboard. 
I think that brand is really great. I do want to talk about balanced foods a little bit. You know, that's something that as somebody who's kind of eating healthier, exercising, trying to to do a little better. So is this company somewhere that I can order online from yet? Are y'all doing any type of shipping yet? Or is it just in the store? So we have six locations company-wide, five in the Houston market. We have Magnolia, Creekside, Vintage Park, Katy, and Sugarland, Sienna Plantation area. And then one location in Tampa, Florida. In the Houston market, order online at balancefoods.com. We deliver seven days a week anywhere in the city. So Galveston to Willis, Baytown to Brookshire, and anywhere in between. The retail stores open every single day. So you can walk in, place an order with them, or just grab meals off the shelf. And we have fully stocked shelves every day of the week. One of the benefits of balanced foods is just real pure food. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fad diets. Every week and every month and every year, we have this new doctor come out with a new diet or the new influencer come out with a new diet. And it doesn't matter what it is, the coffee diet or the South Beach diet or the Atkins or the fasting or the intermittent fasting or the, you know, all the different diets there are. Our food is just it's pure food. There's no preservatives. Nothing's frozen. It's all fresh. A 40-40-20 type of mentality. 40% protein, 40% carbs, 20% healthy fats. You eat it, you have the energy, you're never hungry, you're never lethargic, you're never too energetic. Meals are three to five meals a day, a wider range of breakfast, lunch, dinners, and snacks. And the focus of it is almost like an upside down pyramid to where you eat the bulk of your food between breakfast, lunch, and your afternoon snack. Food is supposed to be fuel for the next three to four hours. Mm-hmm. So you eat the majority of food in breakfast and then your morning snack and then your lunch, and you've had almost the entire caloric intake for the entire day. But you're not hungry, you feel great, food's easy, it's convenient, it's priced right, and it gets you what you need. Yeah, I think I need to hook you up with one of our past guests. And that's, you know, kind of right up their alley. They don't do the food portion of it. He does the gym supplement line and training. I think it would work out pretty well. A little relationship there, man. There's a lot of people really trying to kill it in this industry of just getting good food because that's that's the key. I'm sure everybody kind of changes up the numbers, you know, just to fit whatever they're saying. But, you know, a lot of what I've always heard is it's 80% diet. And 20% exercise, you know, you got to eat right because you can exercise all day long, but it's not going to do any good mm-hmm. if you're not eating yeah. the way you're supposed to. It depends on who you talk to. If you talk to the, to the gym buff, they're going to reverse that and say it's 80% fitness, <laughs> 20% nutrition, right? Our setup and this kind of how we named the brand is balanced foods. It's about balancing life. I'd prefer that you do a little bit of bad so you can do the majority good. People fall off the wagon too much because they go too extreme in mm-hmm. diet programs or too extreme in fitness programs where they say, I'm going to run a marathon today without having done any training the previous 12 weeks, or I'm going to lose 20 pounds in the next two weeks. And they fall off the wagon too fast. So on our food, pick your vices. And if you like gin and tonic, (laughs) then yeah, have your gin and tonic, right? Have a leaner meal the day before, drink some water afterwards, right? But you're not going to be a hundred percent perfect person, right? especially when it comes to food, nutrition, and exercise. So it's all about the balance of it. And our food's designed for that. So you can have enough good with our food that you kind of afford yourself the balance of a little bit of bad. That's what this guy, he's like 6'2", 260 pounds, jacked. I mean, he is just, he's a big dude, competitive lifting. I mean, he's done it. He trains people that do it. You know, that's his shtick. And that was one of the big things. Once you hear that episode, you know, you'll hear him say every single night he has seven Oreos. That's his guilty pleasure. He loves those Oreos. So he's like, yeah, I just make sure that everything I do, I'm ready for those seven Oreos at night. You know, it's not going to hurt me bad enough because you're right. I think that is when people say you're on a diet, you got to be on a lifestyle change. You can't just be on a diet. You have to live differently, eat differently, work out differently. And uh, that's the big thing I'm trying to do right now is just every now and then when I go out to eat, I'll have those wedge fries, but I'm going to make sure that I have something healthy to go along with it. So I like that mentality. It's how we reframe our perception of food. 
when I was a triathlete, I ate different. When I was a bodybuilder, I ate different. As a matter of fact, when I was a bodybuilder, when I was at my leanest and my biggest, my pre-workout was two strawberry Pop-Tarts with <laughs> almond butter in the middle. Oh. And then my taco bowl with ground turkey meat and macaroni and cheese. And I crushed it. The seven Oreos, there's a chemical hormonal response of what those sugars will do when you're starting to look at food in a particular way, as Anthony said, as fuel. But it's about timing, where as balanced foods, the average person, most people don't have a regime as an athlete where you're looking at grams certain times a day, because when I eat sugar after my workout within 30 minutes, it's going to do this for my recovery. Most people aren't there. So you see a lot of these extremists and experts in what they do as a trainer, a runner, a triathlete, and they have it dialed in. That's why they're at that level. But for the majority, they're looking at a way to take the restrictive time they have. And the last thing they want to do is shop, prep, cook, and clean, mm. especially when you have a family, you have a career, you have kids. And what do we resort to? What's convenient. And with balanced foods, the diverse menu that we have between our zesty turkey pasta, our rise and shine, our breakfast tacos, our chili, our new chicken enchiladas. You, I'm hungry now. You're never <laughs> gonna you're right. You're <laughs> never gonna feel like you're going without because that's typically where we fall short is we go on this highly restrictive diet with the biggest of intentions. Day three, we're wanting that favorite meal, that treat meal, right? So our meals are designed to where you're never gonna lose flavor. And flavor was the number one key because if we want it to be a lifestyle change, we don't want to feel like we're we're now doing without things that we actually love. You want to have the healthy replacements to where your brain's going, oh, I like the flavor. This is actually good. I'm going to keep going with this. And now you can stick with it way longer. For sure. Did you say strawberry Pop-Tarts with almond butter in the middle? I sure did. Oh, that kind sounds of so good. ghetto sandwich is that? <laughs> I mean, it was a man, leg day was epic. <laughs> yeah, no, that, it sounds amazing, honestly. So, I don't do that anymore, though, just just to be clear. We didn't forget, Michael David, that you're in the room. So <laughs> tell us about you and uh, how you got started and where you fit in with Tilted Concepts and everything y'all are doing. Still trying to figure that out. <laughs> what do I do? Michael David, everybody calls me MD. I'm kind of the resident high-fiver. I came on board a couple of years ago, which seems like just yesterday. I'm the director of marketing, working with Tilted Concepts and then all the brands underneath that umbrella. Storytelling, looking at overall just narrative content. How do we leverage? How do we get into the market? How do we communicate the benefits of what we do? And so that's what I get to do. I've been in marketing 20 plus years. I kind of realized I had a, a knack for kind of being the, the match.com for customers in a business. And with the advent of social media, I realized the world just got really, really small in a really cool way. I personally hate social media of kind of what it has created, but it's also been the greatest gift to a small business. Because before as a business, unless you were a big brand that you were spending nine figures a year in advertising and marketing and dominating the attention span, which is our number one commodity, as a small business, if you did have the money to put an ad out, do a billboard, it needed to be transactionally focused. And as Anthony was talking about, the service is what's lacking. And the businesses that really get the experience down, they get the service down, they get the real empathy and care for the customer down, we actually prefer that experience but because it's been so bad for so long, we're going online. We would rather take the risk of getting something that we order online to be the wrong size or broken, damaged or not working, and then go to the trouble of sending it back than go to a local store because we already feel overworked, underappreciated, and no value already in life. So why would we want to go and face that again in another store and feel like we're bothering them? 
And that's one of the great things about our team. They love what they do. All of us have a sense of purpose. We get to rally together. The past 18 months has been interesting, but to be able to rally and be in the kitchen one day with the team or do deliveries or Anthony will pop in a tune up or martinis with pizza and Skittles and bang energies. And because it's not about each of us doing our own independent thing, we're all working together here to help our communities. We're all threaded deeply into the community and it's not a J-O-B. Everybody has this real sense of this is something I get to do. And that permeates every single location, every team. Hey guys, I got this thing going on. Can somebody cover my shift? I got you. I mean, we see that we're in the text threads. We see the communication internally. And that's by far one of the greatest things about any organization is that's what you hope for. You know, when you build something and you give your blood, sweat, and tears to creating something that creates opportunities for others, and then also gives our customers a place to come in and go, I like this. There's an intrinsic part of loyalty that comes from feeling just appreciated. You know, tune up. I mean, I love the fact that I can bring my son in at 930 in the morning on a Saturday and get a Jack and Coke. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, let's go. And no judgment. And no judgment and at all. You want another one. Yeah. And everybody knows you. It's kind of like that cheers mentality. You know, you walk into martinis, same thing. Everybody loves what we get to do every day. This is not something we have to do. And that's what's allowed us to grow. That's honestly why customers have turned into franchisees because they loved the experience of what TuneUp has done, what Balanced has done, what Martinis has done, because it's the customers first, as well as the team. And that's your greatest asset is your team, number one. And Anthony's the dollars and cents guy from the 90,000 foot view, but because he also will get in the weeds and he listens at the weed level, every decision he makes is what's good for the team and what's good for the customer. You know, it's not what's good for me or what's good for the corner office. It's what's good for everybody else. And that's the whole mentality from the top down that makes this thing work, to be honest, because our franchisees from the majority, I believe, are first time business owners. And so they get to come into a culture that is entrepreneurial and a real community of people helping each other, looking at other franchise models you cut the check and you're kind of left to fend for yourself. Right. And, you know, from the concept of balance was not by accident to where if a customer comes in, let me grab those meals for you and I'll put them on the counter. What else can we help you with? It's the same way when somebody comes in to want to be a franchisee from day one, the day that the, the LOI is signed, it's a handholding process to help these individuals build that dream. You know, Katie and Carlsbad, California challenge is along the way for quite some time to get that location open and through the pandemic in California and all that yep. finally opened. And it was just a huge sense of relief. And, you know, our corporate team that went out to go help that open and Anthony drove one of the trucks to take out a lot of the hardware that we build in the wood shop. It's all hands on deck, you know, to help these dreamers, these entrepreneurs that want to create something for themselves to allow themselves to be a part of the community. I mean, two of our franchisees are firefighters. It's amazing to see Kelly and Nate Bartlett. They own three, Umbola, Tascacita, and New Caney. The Sorokas in Tennessee. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see these families that are, you know, from the idea back in October of 2015, by sticking with it and sticking with your idea and finding the best way to make it work has created opportunities for others to build their own dream. And that then goes to their team and everybody that gets the opportunity to work 
in a tune-up or a martinis or a balanced foods, they get to walk into something that they feel like finally this is a place they have a purpose. And that's why you end up having such great customer experience because they feel like they belong. This is not just a J-O-B. That's one of the greatest things to be able to be a part of the communication aspect and help that be out in front is for me and my role is one of the coolest opportunities to have to help steer that message both internally and externally. It's been really cool. That's awesome. So as far as education goes, I know we kind of had a discussion earlier, you know, are you guys just masters, graduates and, you know, Harvard scholars or, <laughs> gonna, you know, how did, how do we get into this? You're going to have two high school graduates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reluctant yeah. at that even. <laughs> <laughs> that was forced. <laughs> I had to graduate. I didn't have a choice. Right. So, I mean, I, I think it's such an important message to throw out there to anyone listening that eventually wants to become an entrepreneur. You know, college is great and I'm not knocking college. I am a half-time student myself, and I think I've been in college about six or seven years now. Took a couple semester break in between on another semester break right now. It's not something I have to have for everything that I'm doing. It's just something that I want to eventually be able to say, hey, I conquered it and I did it, you know. But I want others to know that you don't have to go through a huge, rigorous college program to be successful. And I think y'all kind of have that story here. I mean, how successful of a business are y'all running? You know, you got 62 locations between all your concepts, but I mean, how many people do y'all employ again? We're right about 540. That's a lot of Americans with jobs. You know, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people. I know it's not millions, but we'll get there. And we we take care of over 10,000 customers a week. 13,154 last week. There you go. Numbers See? guy. <laughs> so on the, on the school piece, it, it's kind of important. What I figured out, I have a lot of real world experience, right? I got my first job when I was 12, second job when I was 14. First job was a paper route. Second job was a busboy at a restaurant. So I had real world experience in the workforce early in my life. And that kind of shaped what I wanted to do for a career standpoint. What I wanted to do, I thought what I wanted to do was I wanted to go to college. I wanted to be an American history and poli sci major. A double major, wow. Un- University of Massachusetts, American history, political science, with a huge specialization in the pre and post revolutionary war, 1750 to 1800. What were the catalysts besides like the Boston Tea Party? What were the catalysts to lead up to a group of people saying, that's enough, we're revolting and creating our own country? And after they somehow succeed in it, how the hell did they actually build that country, that framework? It was a fascination of mine. Figured out early, there's no money in that. And my passion for it was more from I wanted to learn. I wanted to absorb that piece of American history and that thought process versus I just wanted to create a paycheck because I happened to have memorized it. So I learned early that there's a passion for work and there's a passion for passion on the employment perspective and the ownership perspective. I lucked in to be able to have both, that I'm passionate about it because it's what I want to do and I happen to earn a little bit of income occasionally by doing it. So that's kind of what I would advise anybody is if they're going through school, whether it's right out of high school into the workforce or a trade school or a college, not all times is the passion what you really want to do for a living, mm. right? So the passion could be working out or bodybuilding. It could be triathletes. It could be helping kids. It could be charity work, right? And sometimes you can match the two together, but oftentimes you have your passion, which should be out of work stuff and the stuff you do for your work that allows you to drive your passion. Yeah. I never saw myself being with a marketing agency when I was in high school. You know, It wasn't something I ever thought about doing. I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit because my dad owned a company, you know, doing flooring and uh, I worked for him. God, I was probably 11 or 12 years old out there on a job site, making money every weekend working with him. 
but kind of that same story of I just lucked into this job, you know, and it just turned into something that I found a passion for that I would have never known I had before. So everybody's an entrepreneur. I have felt this way for many, many years, but most people don't lean into it. The ultimate at the core, what is an entrepreneur? It's a problem solver, right? You're mm -hmm. just willing to lean in and take a risk and do this, hopefully at scale. But as an employee, you can still be an entrepreneur. If you take the mentality, like from Jocko Willink with extreme ownership, you own, when you walk in, if you're working in a cubicle or you're working in a cash register and you look at that as you're a subcontractor and you are a CEO of that zone, that means you own everything, good and bad. You know what? It might be somebody else's fault, but you're going to take the responsibility and find what made that happen and then how to make sure that doesn't happen again and learn from it. You're an entrepreneur. Like when you're going for a job interview, you're actually kind of going on Shark Tank because you're looking for that employer to invest in you, let's say 40,000 a year. Well, if somebody's going to give you 40 grand and if you walk into Shark Taking they, and they say, okay, you know what? I'm going to invest 40 grand in you. They want to return. And as an entrepreneur who just got invested, you just got an investor, you want to do them proud. You also want to do yourself proud. And you also want to be able to have the chance to make more. Well, you can't expect yourself to make more just for showing up. The investor doesn't want to just break even. They want to be able to get more from you. So that's where when you come into work every day and you go, you know what, today I have a chance to earn my opportunity. But all you do is show up right on time. You take your 30, then you leave at five and you're not doing anything else to ask yourself, what can I do today to guarantee my spot? That if there ever came down to it, there was ever a question, they would look at me and go, that's an asset we don't want to get rid of. I would rather be a valued asset than a risk because all I'm doing is bare minimal. And that's most people, they do just enough to not get fired. But that entrepreneurial spirit is, I'm going to own this. I'm going to take this and I'm going to do everything I can to maximize it. In my past, I never had to ask for a raise ever because I felt almost kind of the underdog because I didn't go to college. And a lot of times I was up against guys that did have a degree, but then I shortly began to realize that those guys were hedged on that degree and they weren't willing to put in the work every single day. Entrepreneurs, when you, when you do start a venture, you cannot have a 30 day goal finish line. You're thinking five years because you know, you've got to put in some time to really have the proof of concept. And did you really put everything into it? That mentality, that mindset of entrepreneurship would do everybody massive success, no matter if you own a business, because you don't have to own a business to be an entrepreneur. It's a mentality. Mm -hmm. It's a perspective on what you're willing to do for yourself, your own self-pride of how much you give. You know, the employer may not see that value, but are you doing it for them or for yourself? Because if you're doing it for yourself to really maximize what your skills are and how much more you can learn and how much more you can do, you'll never be without, ever. I've been laid off from jobs before, but I've never been without opportunity because that's always been my approach. Because if I didn't have that approach, what am I left with? There's guys with degrees that are interviewing for jobs and what do I have to show for it? The only thing I can show is results. Like school, school's theory. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is about practicality, execution, learning. Because most people, they get afraid of failure. Failure is actually the greatest lesson. And that's one of the things with the culture with, that Anthony has always maintained. And that comes from being an entrepreneur. You're going to make countless mistakes. You can't walk into it going, I have to make the perfect decision that's going to give me the path of least resistance so I can scale my business. That is the mentality that you're going to end up failing because you're going to be paralyzed by fear. You have to be willing to go, you know what? Everything that I know right now, I feel like this is going to be a good decision. 
may not be the right one, but you feel like it's the good one at the time, lean in, do it. And if it doesn't work the way you thought, why? Take the lesson and then move on. Keep going. It's momentum, right, Anthony? I mean, it's about not allowing those things that can get thrown at you all the time. And his phone goes off 500 million times a day. (laughs) And you just take the lessons, you take the hits, but you don't say it proves that I'm incapable. No, that's actually the very thing that's showing you this is an opportunity to get better. Use it, get better, lean in and keep going forward. But that's where a lot of entrepreneurs, I think they quit too early. They give up. But that moment of giving up was actually the test. Are you really committed to your idea? You've been listening to The Beef Podcast, sponsored by Community Bank of Texas, an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more small business stories, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To share your story, visit us at beefymarketing.com. Till next time, thanks for listening to The Beef Podcast.